This program is brought to you by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu. You are listening to a seminar brought to you by Spree, the Stanford Project on Regions of Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Spree is part of the Shorenstein Asia-Pacific Research Center at the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. For more information about Spree, visit our website at spree.stanford.edu. Thank you very, very much for coming here today. Uh, it's a hot day. We're going to leave the doors open, the fans on. If it's too noisy for you, not too bad. <laughs> it's really hot up here, and I've got to wear this thing so I look proper and everything. So, um, and as you know, those of you who have done business in Japan, it's really important that you wear a suit and tie it all the time, even when it's this temperature plus 80% humidity. And uh, so I'm getting kind of used to all this. Uh, I want to thank Harry for the kind introduction. It's been an absolute pleasure and a real thrill to be here at APARC uh, working with uh, Spree. Uh, it's been one of the most stimulating environments I've ever met, um, ever, ever been involved in uh, from, from the intellectual standpoint. And it's been supportive and I want to thank every one of you. For those of you that want to know a little bit about my background in Japan, I did found a company in Japan about nine years ago now. Its purpose was to distribute wines throughout Japan and eventually opened up offices in uh, a couple places in Japan, but also in uh, Harbin, China, uh, Shanghai, China, uh, Taipei, Taiwan. Uh, it, the company I got an earn out about um, nine months ago, it continues on. The reason I'm here studying corporate governance stems from that experience. My background, um, academic background, is as an economist from the University of Michigan, and I studied Japanese economics there. But while I was running the company in Japan, it seemed that every few months, our corporate lawyer was calling me up as the CEO and saying, we have to rewrite the corporate charter. There was a new law that was just passed, and we're going to have to redo something, and we'd have to redo the way we did it. We, I remember the first one was the stock option plan. So we rewrote our corporate charter for the stock option plan. Then it was different ways of governance, then different ways of auditing, then different standards, and so forth. And we'll go through some of those. It just intrigued me how fast that was changing while it was doing it. Subsequently, I'm intrigued to see recent news reports in Japan. There's a British company called TCI that tried to buy J-Power. I think some of you may have, or buy a big chunk of J-Power. And it was rejected um, because of some security issues. Uh, but one of the, and something about the intestines and the length of intestines of British people. But the, the, one of the things that TCI most wanted to do was put in place a committee system of corporate governance in J-Power. That was one of their demands. And interestingly also, recently, the second largest uh, mergers and acquisitions company in Japan, GCA, sent out a publication to all of its clients in Japan saying the best way, for you, one of the best ways, for you to avoid a takeover, to, avoid, to at least five combat to take over, is adopt the committee system structure. Uh, adopt the committee system structure. So what it came here is to study that and to kind of study Japan corporate governance. And what we're going to do today is just look at some of the reasons for that. 
there are two systems of uh, auditing and monitoring structures in Japanese corporations right now. We decided to look at them and compare them. That's really what the presentation is about. Real quickly, what we did is we looked at two groups of differently governed companies. And I'll explain what these two groups are. I'll explain what the committee system and auditor system are. But just to really give you a brief look, we compared the two groups of committee system and auditor system companies and find that the committee system governments, the so-called American model, was significantly valued higher as measured by Tobin's Q, um, 30 and 40 percent higher. Um, and that, that effect happened almost immediately, and the effect happened from the time that it was available to happen. The law started here in this year. And we also found interesting that significant differences in other financial measures were not important. That is, the companies in the two groups weren't different in terms of profitability, you know, employment, uh, rate of growth, um, you know, and other financial ratios. Oh, in case you're not familiar with Tobin's Q, real quickly, Tobin's Q is the ratio of the market value, the market cap of the firm to the replacement value of its assets. So if the market cap's in the, uh, what's that, numerator, denominator? The market cap's in the numerator and the assets in your denominator, clearly if your Tobin's Q is below one, you're kind of a takeover target because you could buy the firm and sell off the assets and make money. And firms with high Qs are certainly Qs better than one. have been found to be better investments. They've been fine to have higher growth rates. And they certainly indicate, there's a lot of study on this, that management just performs well at the assets under their command. And simply, the ratio does indicate that you're less likely to be a takeover target. If you have very high market cap relative to your asset base, you're, just, you're less valuable as a takeover target. So that's what Tobin's Q is. It's a very common dimensionless number of corporate value, common in the finance literature. Our study focused on monitoring. And Corporate governance does deal with the agency problem, which I guess can be simply described for those that aren't familiar. Uh, you know, when you're the owner operator, you have no trouble telling yourself how you want to run the company. But the second you tell them hire a manager or start hiring a group and you're the owner of the thing, agency problems develop. You hired an agent to run your company and you need a return on your money. That's generally the agency problem. And of course, in large corporations, this is the system of board of directors and shareholders and that kind of thing. Some, some corporate governance systems deal more effectively with agency problems than others and deal with different ways. The purpose of this talk is not to talk about the different corporate governance systems, but if you're interested, there's an excellent book on Japan corporate governance put out by Aoki and others, Professor Aoki and others, called Japan Corporate Governance, which came out, I think, in September this year and describes it in great, great detail. What I want to talk about is the monitoring aspect, and that's what we're really looking at. One of the functions of a corporate governance system is to monitor for the shareholders the performance of management and the actions of management. And I look at this as a flying true thing. One of the things that um, I do for fun is I like to fly airplanes. And when you're in muck, you really, really depend on that instrument panel to tell you which way is up and which way is down. And if it doesn't tell you the right things, you smack into mountains and things like that, <laughs> or you know, whatever, and make small holes in the ground. That's exactly what the corporate governance monetary system is supposed to do. It's supposed to give the owners of the firm kind of a control panel. What's going on? And it's supposed to give you true and correct information. It doesn't give you true and correct, or as correct as possible, you smack into the side of bankruptcy. And some of the big issues in this, of course, are you're monitoring, the shareholders are monitoring for inappropriate use of funds. And inappropriate is kind of a broad term, but it's, you know, covers diversion into the less profitable but favored activities or, um, or 
you know, diversion into pocketbooks, or just general incompetence. This is what I was accused of all the time by my board in, in, uh, in Japan. Uh, but it's there to look, to see what's happening in a government properly. And there's, of course, there's conflicts in any agency system. What's really, really interesting to me from the monitoring is not only a really, really important part of the corporate governance system, but many of the recent scandals in corporate governance in the United States and Japan are monitoring related. For example, the Enron scandal has a lot to do with shareholders not being known what's going on and the managers not being properly monitored. <laughs> Those of you that are familiar with Japan are familiar with the Look, um, Look Smart uh, company. And uh, that was also hidden accounting Stuff wasn't disclosed properly to shareholders. Shareholders didn't know what was going on, proper monitoring didn't happen, and people went to prison. Let's talk about the differences, just again, just, to be, just as a preface to get to the data, the differences in the monitoring systems. Um, in the United States, we're typified by a smaller, we're talking about public companies now, we're typified by a smaller board the majority of whom must be independent, and independent has a, has a large definition in law. They can't be current, recent, past employees, you know, have associations. And these non-managerial directors must, are required to meet regularly without management around. Presumably, so you can talk about them behind their back. And American corporations have to have three committees that are composed entirely of the independent directors. Those three, the audit, governance, and compensation. Um, audit, again, dealing with financial reports. Governance, dealing with the legal operation. And compensation, dealing with the payment to CEOs. Japan, before, before a lot of reforms happened in 1997, typically it was typical to see a large board, large board most of whom were employees of the company, reported to the, the chairman, the CEO, the representative director. It was kind of a destination point of a career. Um, every company had to have at least three non-employee statutory auditors, and they were responsible for performing basically this and this function uh, for the benefit of the shareholders. Uh, they called statutory or kansiako in Japanese. They did it, but the point is that they were appointed by the CEO and the board and then confirmed by the shareholders. Until very recently, they had short terms, two years terms, and they could be switched out relatively simply, and their pay was set by the CEO. And they had a very loose non-employee requirement. For example, they could have been an employee last week and could be in promised employee employment you know, as soon as their term ends. So it was a very, very loose definition of independence. Without going into what happened, there were a lot of reforms uh, that occurred in Japan in this decade, from 97 on to 2005. Um, and I just kind of listed them here, not to go through them, but just kind of give the flavor, the context of the kind of the, just the, all the corporate governance reforms that happened in Japan, from stock options, uh, plans creations, to this decrease in minimum capital, which I really, really liked. When I started the company, we had to put in, you had to, in order to form a stock fishing company, you had to invest a minimum of $100,000, which is really hard for some small businessmen to do. Now I think it's one yen. Um, all kinds of things happen. We're gonna focus in 2002, 2003, the committee system of governance, which we just saw on the last slide, is kind of the American system, although modified, and we'll go into that. That was allowed to be selected by companies at their option beginning in 2003. So uniquely among the world's governance systems, it provides a research opportunity because it's, it's never before seen where 
legal existence of completely different corporate governance systems exist side by side, and companies can choose. So companies can select this American style of committee governance, or they can stay with the uh, modified version of the uh, uh, auditor system that was common in Japanese companies before this time. <coughs> After 2003, they could choose one of these two. Uh, the committee system, which is kind of modeled on the American system, uh, requires a nominating audit and compensation committees, and the Japanese firm can select one or more executive officers that aren't on these committees. The composition of those committees has to be three or more. It's appointed by the board, and half of those people on those committees have to be outsiders. In other words, they can no longer be recent employees. Uh, there's a loophole in this, unfortunately, that was left in that uh, they, they could be employers of, employees of the parent company, um, which is kind of a large loophole. Uh, but otherwise, they have to be, you know, can't be employees of the subsidiary. The company can't have been employees in the past five years. And this is most important and different from the, uh, uh, very much different from the old system. They cannot be overruled. These committees on the committee system cannot be overruled by the CEO or the board. Their decisions are final. Uh, and they have the same functions. Who's going to be the, uh, uh, you know, the officers, the, uh, the finance, and the legal structure of the company. This is the old style system that was left in place. It's slightly different from the way it was in 1997. They had to have three or more statutory auditors nominated boys approved by the shareholders, but they doubled the term that they were in office. Um, they certified the financial matters and the legal you know, wholeness of the company uh, to the shareholders, but they're paid by the CEO and the board and nominated by the CEO and the board. We have to add one more thing, because this will be really important when we get to the data, that there were additional reforms to the standard, the, the auditor system, in 2005. And for large firms, they required that half or more of the three or more auditors that they had had to be outsiders. One of them had to be full-time working on the company, and they cannot be board members. And they must form this thing called an uh, auditor committee, a kansiaku kai. And that has to have one full-time auditor, and it can't be a board committee. It doesn't report to the board. It's very similar to the American audit committee, the American system. What's important about this is it took effect in 2006. And our expectation was that if there's a difference in company performance due to monitoring that started in 2003, we would expect it to become maximal around 2005. Because in 2006, even the traditional company adopted one of the main features, an audit, from outsiders in a committee system that can't be overruled. And with that preparation, let's go to the study. We were just interested in looking at the differences in groups. So we compared committee system companies, companies that had selected committee system, um, two, committees that, two companies, two similar companies that hadn't. We pulled the, the financial data off of uh, the Ministry of Finance database or the Orbis database. Um, we computed our own T Tobin's Q because it's a very, very difficult calculation. It's obviously, it's not easy to publish the fair replacement value of the assets. But uh, there's a great paper by Pruitt and Chung in 1994 that has a short method using financial statements that's shown to be about 96% accurate or comparable to the uh, to the true value once you file once you do it long term. And we wanted to compute our own because in the literature Tobin's Q is sometimes computed very very loosely. 
and we wanted to be sure we had a consistent calculation all the way through. The only problem that we, we saw is that there are very few companies that selected the committee system, 110 total out of 3,200 public companies in Japan. And only 63 of them were suitable for study because we wanted to eliminate the companies that had some sort of system, you know, structural uh, relation to them or a systematic change. For example, 19 of the 110 companies were Hitachi Group companies. And, you know, we thought, you know, it, it just, the statistics weren't just going to work out for us if we had all companies, 19 companies all operating the same. Same thing, the No More Group had 14 of the companies, and we took them out. There were five banks. Those are familiar with Japan in the past decade or so. Know that banks under, underwent an awful lot of change, and all the five new banks, Shinsei, uh, Tokyo Star, all those guys, adopted the committee system uh, when they reformed. But they're so highly regulated um, that we thought they weren't appropriate for studying. Same thing with financial services companies. And four of the companies had, during the study time, went through some merger or MBO, and it was really important. The numbers year to year weren't comparable. It left 63 of the companies available for study. We knew it was important to compare industry to industry, we, because industries are just well known to have different Tobin's cues. And we needed to have a sufficient number of companies within each industry classification. And with 26, industrial classifications from METI, we found three industries that had at least five um, companies uh, within them, which is our minimum defined standard for coming up with some decent statistics. So we have, we're comparing the pharmaceuticals, electronics, and machinery industries, finding, we found five companies in each. Every other industrial classification had two or one company. And we selected comparable companies from the other kind, the Kansiaku kind, we look for a comparable pool of companies with similar sales and employees in the same industry, and then we select it at random, where we had lots of people to pick from. Anyway, that's how we pick the companies. And here's the result. The blue line at top is the committee system companies. The red line at the bottom is the Tobin's Q of the uh, uh, regular style companies. Uh, by the way, when we did the study, we were comparing profitability. We weren't looking at Tobin's Q. It's, Tobin's Q came out to be the one, and it's kind of where the study centered around. What we found is, starting in the first year it was available, this is the first year that a company could declare that it was a committee system company, and continuing on through, we see a large statistically significant at the 99% level difference between... <coughs> the committee-governed companies and the regular-governed companies. And much more interesting, the reason I made the note earlier, the maximum and most significant difference occurs in 2005. What's intriguing to us about it when we look at it is that if you make a change, most of these changes here were just announced. They didn't actually input, you know, create the committee until this year or this year. But there's an immediate effect from the market, from the announcing of we're a committee system company and they get significantly larger Tobin's cues. We'll go into this in a little more detail here. There's a group of companies that declared they were committee systems in 2003, a group in 2004 and so far, and we looked at their histories. And this black line again is the uh, standard audit style system companies and these are their Tobin's cues. By the way, you can look at the Tobin Qs here, it's kind of interesting. The Tobin Qs of the standard Japanese corporation in the period here is around 
0.58, 0 0.6 or something like that. That compares to a standard American company on the New York Stock Exchange of about 1.1, just so you know. Um, but anyway, starting with this class of companies, these are the companies that declared that they were committee systems in 2003. They had growth until everybody declined in 2007. We're not entirely sure why, even the Kansiaka. And again, in 2004, the class of 2004, they had consistent growth. And the 2005 had a decline here, but we think that's special because of the five companies, two of them were real dogs and had a pretty tough couple of years. Uh, but what's most intriguing to us, for sure, is particularly this class. When they announced the change, they got a boost in, they, they kind of came out of the, the muck here and consistently improved and stayed improved in terms of Tobin's cues throughout the years. During the time, by the way, when everything was staying flat in the stock market in Japan, the Nikkei 225 was performing reasonably well. It was performing better than the S&P 500. This is the pharmaceutical, I'll just show you the industries real quick. This is the pharmaceutical industry. Again, the standard companies and the uh, committee system companies. And again, a big difference, an immediate difference, and a statistically significant difference, higher Tobin's cues. And again, it's, it's important to keep in mind that these companies are not different in terms of profitability, sales growth, number of employees, um, you know, whatever, nothing, debt to equity, and we looked at, at all that. Here's the machinery industry. This is interesting. Again, we reached a maximal difference here, a most significant difference in 2005. But notice here how this kind of older industry, for sure, converged <coughs> later on. I'm not sure precisely why that happened, we, but we do have some thoughts. This is the electric industry, and this is not um, electronics. This is, uh, you know, uh, electric machines and plugs in the walls and things like that. Uh, and you can see a large distance in 2003 that narrowed throughout the time. Again, reaching its most significant difference in 2005. We don't want to go to key eight sites until we figure out what's going on. That was the question I asked lots of people. What's happening here? The Kotobin skew is generally higher for committee system firms. And it manifests itself immediately. It's right away. When they announce, in the year it announced, they get a higher valuation right away from the market. It's really important to understand how this is being done. The Tobin's Q, the way it's calculated, is the market cap in the numerator and the fixed assets replacement value in the denominator, right? In one year, they're not going to change their asset base. So it's going to be a change. And if it's a change in the valuation of assets overall, it's going to happen to both, or both times of companies. So it has to be a change in the numerator, which is the market cap. It's happening right away, which means it isn't time for them to report a couple years of better performance because they're committee systems. It must be the market is bidding it up right away. So in other words, it suggests that the market is evaluating that's a good change and bidding those companies up. It persists, which again, which again doesn't suggest that it has a, you know, it's a quick change. People figure out that didn't really do anything. Let's bid it back down. We have a persistent change. Again, it's not long enough. It's only a few years. We'll figure that out as we go forward. But it, right now, it's persisting in, in an interesting way. And the magnitude depends on the industry. The magnitude and the direction of change is, is highly industry dependent. When we looked at that, we kind of figured out how we're going to figure this out as we write the paper and all that. 
and I like the idea that the selection of the committee system, what I'm going to be doing is revealing private information about that management has and signaling the market. For example, if management is willing to open the books of the company to outsiders, that is, true outsiders, and I'm going to I'm going to declare that I'm going to take my friends, the auditors, away, and I'm going to bring in true outsiders and have them look at my books. That's a signal to the market of extreme confidence in the books. And I guarantee you, as a private equity investor myself right now, that's your biggest worry. That the books I'm being presented aren't the ones that are going to, you know, isn't the real cash balance or isn't the real sales growth. That's my worry more than that's what keeps me awake at night when I do that job. So I, I suspect. We don't know this yet, but I suspect that one of the things that could happen if management selects Inkai, then it's signaling a confidence in the veracity of the instrumentation it has in front of it. It may also signal manage, general managed interest in good governance. This is kind of a, norm, no, it's a lot of normative concept, but it suggests that there is a better governance, and when management selects it, the market rewards them right away. There's, in the literature, there's an endogeneity argument which fundamentally says that management knows which companies are the best for the committee system and then selects them. And so it gets bid up because people know management is going to select the best one. This may have some validity because we saw, it may be, if you think about it, we saw three industry groups that had the most committee system companies. And it may be that those have the most in them because they're the best industries to have the committee system. And hence, there would be a better effect there. And that may be this endogeneity effect, which is, which is mentioned in the literature, particularly in uh, Milhouse. It also is another signal. It's very, very important. I can tell you from my personal experience, and by the way, this is one of the directors of my company in Japan, Jack McNeil, and he can tell you that the most important thing on the structure of the board was the presence of outsiders. On our board, we had investors, managers and outsiders. And the presence of outsiders kept people honest. Uh, the investors had their own um, what we call tunneling behavior, which is trying to get, and it was happening all the time, the majority holds most of the stock. And they, if they can get most of the votes, they would like to, the next betting round, get our company at a very, very cheap price or divert resources to special projects. The, outs the presence of outsiders and the ability for them to report to other outside agencies was the most useful thing that I certainly, my perception on the, on, on the board, which is why I think this is true. What we're going to do in the future inquiries is we're going to uh, be running a, a number of models that we've looked at, some we've looked at already, to kind of see which variables best explain and try to come up with variables that explain these various causes and kind of figure out what's going on. But we have to explain this immediate effect. The data is very clear. The, the, the effect is not 1 or 2%. It's 30 and 40%. It's very significant. It's something that really does have to be explained. So key insights here. Um, I'll make you feel very good. This is the last slide. <laughs> well, they differ in no other important financial way. The market committee companies are, are significantly higher valued than traditional. Again, to reiterate, because it's important to me, it manifests rapidly. It just happens right away. It's significant in aggregate, but variable between industries. It's a large change, and it's unique among the indicators we studied. And the rapidity really suggests that the market is making this, this evaluation rather than something going on. And the, less, the, the fact that the signal became less after 2005, when the, 
regular systems adopted our true outsider audit committee told us an awful lot. And we think we're going to pursue this a lot. This is the point of all thing. If the higher valuation holds, doesn't it suggest that it makes sense for boards of directors to select that system? Because that's their job to produce higher value for their company, for their shareholders. And doesn't it then suggest convergence on the committee, the US style system of governments for Japan in the future? Those are the thoughts we're going to leave you with. And I'm now open for cross examination. Thank you very much. Thank you. The, uh, <clears throat> this change in 2005 looks like a sort of a partial move, not probably clear exactly how much, <clears throat> towards the uh, community system for the other, all the rest of the population. Um, now, and they are there for the narrowing in 2006. Um, can you say a little bit more about what's happening over time? Well, it's a short period of time, so it's pretty hard to tell, I guess. But your data do suggest that something like the committee system, given the amount of 2005, is occurring. Um, I'm trying to ask the question in the right way, but uh, it, looks, it looks like there is convergence taking place on the committee system. But maybe but how much is now going to clear? Well, let me address that, I guess, in two answers. It's a right question. There are two things going on in Japan. Certainly there is a legal convergence. Um, these reforms that, that adopt the committee system came out of the diet and not the bureaucracy. There were studies in the bureaucracy on it. The proposal came out of the political system, not the bureaucrats. And it was interesting that it came out of that because it suggests that, and it, and, and the reason that there are two parallel systems is that the industry groups in Japan did not want the committee system. And so a compromise made, okay, you can pick either one, the Kidanran, for example. And so it suggests that there is popular pressure because it's coming out of the politics, or at least there's something coming out of the polity in some way for the committee system, which suggests a more open structure. And there's no question that that pressure will you know, go back and forth as politics go, but I don't see any reason that's particularly changed in the dynamic in Japan. The second thing that certainly is going to happen is that there is market pressure. It's just, it won't take long, even though this data is new, and I'm certain we're not the first people to occur to, for the, if the market, if the Tobin's queue is higher, business managers are going to know it. They're going to know what's causing it, and they're going to want to go there. So I think you see that conversion in the second one. The third thing we know for sure, and let me address this because this brings in another topic from the third thing, there are severe weaknesses to the American system. For example, these outsiders on the committees, own, they're outsiders. They own very little stock. And it's really easy for them to say, okay, these thousand people lay them off. Or let's pay the CEO you know, astronomical sums of money. It's not my money anyway. And uh, I'm being a little bit you know, flip about that. But the point is there are, there are some concerns about the American system. Those two are ones that Japan has, and Japan corporate leaders have. So, it strikes me that if it converges, it'll converge somewhere, I would guess. You know, keeping the characteristics of the Kansiaku, the personal relationship that the auditor has, but building in more and more outside. I guess we converge, I'm saying, I think we'll converge on a J form of some kind. But I think it's clear we have to converge. You can't get this difference in value without some motion in the market. Well, I wonder about that. Uh, 
suppose what you're getting is simply a signaling equilibrium that the companies with high private benefits and control uh, do not adopt the right. committee system. Right. The companies uh, that are not so tainted with high private benefits and control uh, find that they can gain from doing so. And all of this may correlate somewhat with a couple of variables that maybe you have that weren't in your slides. One is the uh, presence of significant blockholders not majority control but significant blockholders uh, outside the Kiritsu, if that's the structure of your particular you know, company or group. Um, and the other would be um, you know, how many uh, independent, genuinely independent, if not really strongly motivated by ownership, which is the problem of How do the presence of the of blockholders and independent directors uh, <coughs> numerically uh, correlate with some of what uh, you're observing? Uh, and these, you know, the U.S. studies, for example, uh, don't say show a lot of uh, correlation uh, between uh, on performance right. between simply an outside board independent majority right. Right. Uh, and the uh, and the performance. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, along with the uh, legal comparisons you can make, there are a lot of comparisons with the U.S. studies of uh, these uh, issues. Right. Um, thank you. I think it's a very good question. We did look at a number of variables, and two of them we looked at, I think, are relevant here, were the percentage of concentration of shareholder ownership um, among these companies. And we found no significant differences in any of the, uh, the results here, but performance or valuation or TQ. You're breaking, you're breaking apart mm -hmm. controlling ownership. Right. And we, we can only look at blocks. Yeah, I understand that completely. We can only look at kind of blocks. And we, we also looked at foreign ownership, percentage of foreign ownership, and the number of independent directors. And we got, we got that by looking at their biographies and also if there were any foreign names on the board. Um, we did find a loose at the 85% significance level correlation to foreign ownership. And that, if we get larger sample sizes, these are tiny sample sizes, so we're going to have significant problems left and right. Uh, you know, we may find that, that, that what you're getting is true. And I think, quite frankly, you're right. These may be hidden explanations that we really don't know. And I think it's likeliest, though, that when you have that large evaluation difference, you know, unless you have a blocking shareholder group, it's hard to prevent the convergence. And we know one thing for sure in Japanese corporate history, cross-shareholdings, controlling groups have gotten much, much smaller over the past 15 years. The argument, implicit, please, is that <clears throat> there's a set of companies for which the traditional system is actually more appropriate. Never in the interests of the controlling group. Right. For that controlling group, right. That's the path dependence argument. There is, that's in Dutch and Roe and all that. That's exactly right. <laughs> Again, like I said, we're looking at all the variables. I think that's potentially true. What we find, what we find certainly, is that if if those controlling groups may not care about this particular financial dimension, and quite frankly, this depends on the objective function uh, that you're going to look at. And I'm looking at this very, very American objective function. Jean? I was wondering, could you 
could you tell us more about why that one uh, sector did not fit your pattern? You said you had thoughts. Machinery. Was it with machinery? Why? It was the one that never, it had the least difference to start with. I mean, I'm going to answer it sort of empirically, but uh, if you look at there's the previous one, the pharmaceutical, this is pharmaceuticals and biotechnology companies. Um, the differences here are, you know, substantial, doubling, you know, uh, between the committee system and everything. You know, it's quite significant. But if you go to the machinery, the differences are quite small even to start with. So it's something, a little bit of what you're saying, a little bit, in this industry, and this is something we think is a very important phenomenon, in this industry there is clearly less advantage to the committee system, or at least on Tobin's queue. There's clearly less advantage maybe. But you have any idea why? You know, I don't know. My guess is that, that these are low mar these are low, you know, my guessing, and I'm just guessing here, okay? These are low margin businesses. More these family, are very old family owned. More family uh, control. Yeah, possibly. it could be. These are the older businesses in Japan. These are the, you know, old My guess is that what we see the biggest difference is in the biotech industry. And my guess is that you're in the older industries, you're dealing less with investment, bringing money in, you know, relationships to shareholders, relationship to investors. But in the new companies, that's much more critical, much more important. You have to present more data and more veracity to it. That's my guess, but we do need to look into that more. That's exactly right. What is your end on this in the machinery industry? How many? Uh, uh, an N is five. This has, exactly. So well, what you have in the total. previous slide is you have, right. you have, you have Mitsubishi Heavy. Um, Gosh, who did we have here? And then, and then you have, uh, actually my question is, why did you not include the Hitachi wood firms? Because they would all be in different <coughs> industries. So you're basically depriving yourself on a wonderful end here because Hitachi would be in the machinery, they right. would be in shipbuilding and steel and you know all kinds of different places and by deleting 19 you're deleting you know 20 percent of the sample oh, they, yeah, it could the Hitachi be firms are yeah there it's a Hitachi electric Hitachi heavy machinery Hitachi construction Hitachi investments there's all that and your point's well taken my reason we didn't select it and we had that discussion internal to our group uh, my point back to it is that the reason Hitachi chose committee system is not the reason that we're studying. And maybe therefore it's wrong to take it out, but the reason Hitachi, and they, you can look this on their website, they did it as a matter of control because the people on the committees had to be outsiders, but there's a legal loophole that the outsiders could be people from the parent because it's not prohibited. So what they did is Hitachi assigned parent employees to the, to the committees on their subsidiaries. But they don't need the committee system to do that. They could do that. Well, they could do that by constantly. They couldn't do, they could not do that with Kansiaku. They can't be employees at the time. But they can send their guys. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I realize it's close, but both, both Hitachi and Nomura, both in, the, both in their own statements, say the reason they did it was a control ploy rather than, you know, and so to, to line up the subsidiaries better. And so we do need to add this in and see what happens. You know, I think it's important. Uh, for the purpose of defining the thing, but we thought it was such a special circumstance that it would pollute the small sample, and we'd get less true results. That, that's really what we kind of figured out. But I think it's an extremely good point. Yes, sir, Rust? Uh, did you look at foreign ownership both at the beginning, before they, when they made the committee decision, and afterward when the value went up? In other words, is it possible that foreign hedge funds could be 
Exactly right question. We are doing those time series data right now. We do have the data, you know, quarter by quarter actually. Uh, foreign ownership, we don't have the results out yet. We did look at the end of the year and looked at it and see if there are any significant trends. We found, like I said, this minor one. But that's an exactly proper question. That's exactly something we're doing right now because I think it is likely, like just get it back to Gene's question, that the pharma industry, you know, the biotech industry is looking for investment all the time, particularly looking for FDI. You know, and the machinery isn't. That, that, that advantage in the, the statement of veracity is much, much larger. And that would suggest there's more foreign ownership since much of the capital, uh, certainly the M&A capital going in Japan is foreign right now. Well, you mentioned the outsider uh, brought by UPT. I'm wondering, did you observe uh, uh, in other companies, in those who your database, what outsiders are they really uh, actively bringing in? Are they really independent or are they majorly uh, the short answer is no. We did not look at that very hard because we really didn't know how. how. Once they were non-associated companies, you know that they, we did look and list if they had foreign subsidiaries or not, and we looked at the director group to see if there were foreign names, you know, on it. But we didn't. We didn't have any data really. To, but I think that's an interesting question. So, It does, the, the MOF doesn't have that data, but fortunately Moody's does. <laughs> and, uh, um, you can go out and find uh, the basic bio of every director, every public director in, in Japan. So we could do that, and we, we just need a couple of bodies to go through it. But it is, I think, a very important question. He's true outsiders. <laughs> Nevertheless, suppose it's all polluted. Why are they getting such a larger thing? I mean, they get the boost before they announce who the insiders are. That's, to me, what's most interesting. Before they even set up the structure, their values go up. Uh, and that's, uh, my other question is, uh, uh, do, do they make announcements about corporate uh, governance change? And the, the price trend, is it an instant uh, jump of price, like within hours? We don't know if it's within hours. We compared month by month uh, closes, monthly closes is what we looked at, so we don't know. We, I can say it happened within the year of the announcement. I can't say any more right now. I didn't look here. But I will say that if you look at the websites of the committee system companies, I think you'll find they're very proud of it. They make a point of announcing on their website. Nomura made a huge point out of it. Um, you know, all the committee systems make a big point, and usually their invest, usually their investor relations section of their website. Hey, oops, sorry. <laughs> That's Shrati Nikolai for Christmas dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you didn't observe the uh, price change around the po uh, time point of the year. No, we, we looked at the price change and we did it the data. This is annual data. We did compare the month by month closes to come up with the average stock price for the year, but we're doing annual data right now. If we do much more refinement, you're right. We, we would like to see if the month after they announced they had a boost in price. That well, would be really good. traditional event study. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and we should do that, yes. Do you think, do you, I mean, is the data available? The data is available to do that. The data is unbelievable. And uh, I couldn't believe what you could get over at the Jackson Library here in terms of with a password. <laughs> you know, and just the data. We can find almost stock prices by hour. What about insider trading? We can find, we certainly have in the data, we certainly have in the data. I don't see why an insider would bid up the price, though. I don't see how an insider well, insider thought the price was going to go up. Well, yeah, I really do. I don't see how it would, why they would do it in response to this and not in response to other events. That's what's... Well, this is a big effect. So the jump would occur before the announcement. 
No, I mean the buyer would be in front of it. Could be. I don't know, but, but the law says on that. What is the law? There is a law for certain about insider training and windows and all that. I'm not sure what it is. Um, we had a lawyer go over the, the earlier slide, but we didn't get that. But that, that's a huge part. Again, this all comes to the question of refinement of the data, which we are doing. You know, we found the effect. Now we need to refine the data, find the cause. And that's what we're doing, time studies, regressions, that kind of stuff. Um, I if, I, if I may ask another one. Yeah. So, so yeah. You, you pointed out you haven't entered an AD problem here, mm -hmm. which, which Maybe. I think is at the heart of this, which it, there, there's something else happening in Japan at this time. Right? And mm -hmm. that is that beginning in 2002, uh, Japan embarks on this um, enormous economic upswing. That is, you know, the longest boom period ever since World War II. And so there's all kinds of things happening. The Nikkei is actually not necessarily the best. I just thought it illustrates the point of growth anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. And, um, and the reason that, we, that, that this is happening is that there's a larger repositioning of companies and there's all these lovely changes and center structures, the CEO changes. Mm -hmm. And in, within this larger development, you have 112 companies mm -hmm. where that self-select to make a, a huge party out right. of this announcement that they will adopt this new system. Right. Right? It is possible, in fact, actually, probably no, if we, if we looked at these 112 companies one mm -hmm. by one, we mm -hmm. would find that these are actually the star performers in their industries already, yeah. and that they, they have a, high, a higher percentage of we did look at that. And they're, um, well, these are not actually the star performers of the various industries, but that's okay. Well, no, I mean, we, we I mean, you're, uh, let, me, let me let you finish work, but I think I have partially well, an answer. I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that you, you, have, you have a larger upswing in Japan, the, the, the top performers, and people already know who they are. Right. So in the machinery industry, right. you have maybe the performers in there because right. the top performer heavy and they mm -hmm. didn't switch. Right. So that's why you get this funky chart. Mm -hmm. And then in pharmaceuticals, you get Takeda, which is the top performer, and they did switch, so you, you, you get that because mm -hmm. you have the small end problem. So um, so you, you there's something else happening. The top performer switched to the system, and therefore you find... If the, the top performer switched to the system because that's the best thing for top performers, that would generate a lot of the effect. What we looked at is the class of 2003, also 2004, but I put up class 2003. And we looked at, at 2001, when they were all Kansiaka companies, and this is for all the companies that chose in 2003, okay? And this is the, the people that stayed Kansiaka, and these are individual company histories. Um, and what we found is that, you know, the star in 2007 was the dog of 2001, interestingly enough. Not that it was planned at all, okay? And the star of 2001 was average by 2007. And it was interesting that while well, we started it and we didn't pick it this way, stuff was picked at random. And we picked all the, the Inkai and we picked, these were picked at random. There were two high, two low, and one average when we started quite nicely. And they all, all the committee companies ended up on the positive side of the regular company regardless of their star potential and all that. And one of the things we didn't find, if they're star companies, you'd expect the reason they're stars is, is sales growth rates, profitability, debt equity, and we didn't find a difference. So we agree there is an, I agree, there's an endogeneity effect. No question there has to be, uh, particularly in, in if, if it's, you know, it can dominate large sample sizes. But the other indications, both the histories, individual histories of customers, uh, companies, Plus, not finding differences in other dimensions tells us that there's an, 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 it, more effects going on. So your point is right. I think there's more going on. So whenever there's a, a large change in valuation of 
a publicly traded company, at least in the U.S., it's almost always driven by institutional investor trades. Did you take a look at uh, institutional investor trades in 2003 immediately after the change was announced? Uh, you know, we did not. Uh, one of the questions that I think Harry asked me yesterday was, are there knowledgeable investors in these companies who can understand the change and then drive the price? And that's blocks of shareholders, which we tried to look at. We tried to look at concentration of shareholding and see if there's any difference. We didn't find any. We do need to look. If we want to understand this from what's bidding it up, we do need to look. And we can find hourly trade data. You know, we can find the week of the announcement and we can see what's going on. We do need to understand that more. But that's a study we absolutely have to make part of this. Because in overall, this is the broad result. And it does have to be explained, in our view. Yes, sir. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, how the reform is perceived by different players on the ground, like uh, uh, directors and common you know, uh, corporate employees. Uh, how do they describe it and uh, evaluate the um, Okay, I'll try. I'm not sure that I'm entirely qualified. I can, I can say it certainly from my point of view. Okay, as the CEO and, share, and large shareholder of a Japanese corporation, I love the reforms. I, I mean, I, I drooled over them. They were just the greatest single thing. You know, from beginning to end, setting up stock option plans which were not in existence, allowing treasury shares, allowing, you know, divisions of the firm, uh, on and on. They were just great. And it brought rogue shareholders, and we had them, into line because the rules were different and we understood the rules and we could put structure on it. So as a company CEO, I was crazy about these things that also made it much easier to raise money. And the effect is one effect being shown in Japan with an explosion of, of uh, M&A funds. Japan was 10, 15 years ago the smallest industrial market in mergers and acquisitions, and last year was one of the largest, I mean, one of the top three. You know, an immense, it just, M&As exploded in Japan, but private equity particularly coming from overseas. Um, and it's, I believe, and again, now it's just a belief system, I believe it's only due to the changes in disclosure and corporate structure in Japan. And actually, for sure that happened because triangular mergers were prohibited before and now they're allowed. Um, so you just have a direct effect and direct tax changes too, which directly is. So I thought, from the standpoint of employees, I can speak a little bit to that. I don't think my employees understood what a stock option was. We took a long time, you know. Here's this, this is what it does for you. Oh, God. <laughs> this is what it does for you, you know. This, I, don't think, I don't know that there's broad employee support for a lot of changes. As far as I know, that Kedan Run fought a lot of these changes, so I, I suspect there's a constituency, but I'm not really familiar. I, Dan Bryant's not a question for me, but anyway, I'm just not you could, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, his observations of Japan. But I, my perception was that this is a big deal in the VC private equity, uh, new banks, you know, and, and young companies deal. I don't think nobody, I don't think this is much thought about in. Old industries. If Kedandran was not a supporter of this reform, who was the driver of this reform, particularly the uh, committee system reform? I mean, where, where did that come from? Did it come from the bureaucracy? Or no. Where did it come? Well, it, certainly there were bureaucrats who were in favor of it. The official position of the MOF was not in favor of it. And certainly there were bureaucrats, I think, who supported some diet members. They came out of the diet. They came out of a pol politician who proposed it. And then... Who, who was it? I don't remember, honestly. But, but a lot of it was, was made. It was during Koizumi's. And a lot of it, I remember, back some years ago, 
maybe people were... Yeah, probably the, the finance minister. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it could, I think he was certainly a, a supporter of it, I'm pretty sure. And I know Kozumi was. When did he come? Dr. Naka. Well, with well, this changed. The committee system was proposed in 2002 or 2001. Right. The whole sequence of change began in 97. Yeah. I associated a lot of that with people inside Mickey, but I did the wrong. Well, no, many of the changes were meant. Many, many, many. There are a few weren't. Stock options were not. It came out of the political sphere, and the committee system came out of the political sphere. But Japanese politics is... Is our you know is interesting study into itself, right? And there was no doubt bureaucrats behind the political changes, and right. there was, you know, there were different constituencies I mean, I going on. And I could see Medi being a proponent of this, you know. but yeah. some of that stuff originates from the Big Bang right. financial reforms, which came out of Okurosho. So I absolutely, or, or Hashimoto, I think, was prime minister at the time, and you know, there were a lot of this stuff came out in '97. A lot of these changes. If I, if I may, so I've actually studied this a little bit. Sure. Um, so uh, the Big Bang is, 90, is announced in 97 by Hashimoto, who's a former Meiji minister. Um, that 98, it goes into effect, between 98 and 2000, as I have it here. I really love this chart. Thanks. Um, all, of, all of these things are, are and then and Koizumi this comes in This is not everything, by the way. This is just, okay, here. Koizumi yeah. comes in in 2001, right. and right. Takenaka starts in right. 2002. Right. Uh, in the meantime, there is a corporate governance committee that comes half of out, out of academia mm -hmm. and half out of METI. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And um, they come up with this idea of this of this three thing committee. And um, uh, as you are, as you just said, it's exactly right. Actually, the Ministry of Finance didn't part of the Ministry of Finance didn't like it. That's why they ended up with this compromise, right, they, right, whereby exactly. <laughs> this committee thing was an option, right. not an obligation. Right. And then, uh, in the first couple of years after it was implemented, there was a lot of um, actually uh, cynicism right. that that it was a show, it right. was some sort of kabuki event right. that, exactly. that the Sonys of this world would adopt right. this to look wonderful. And Sony didn't, <laughs> although they did the exactly. executive they, they did the executive committee structure. They didn't do the full income. That's right. <laughs> so whatever the case was, so for, the, for a couple of years there, there was uh -huh. nothing, and then in right. as you pointed out. You know, as in, in 2004 or five, this became a much more widespread thing, and people got serious about it. And that's when the foreign investors right. kind of jumped right. onto exactly it. Exactly right. This is great. It's a signal that there's a willingness. To and I'm glad you pointed out the kind of compromise. The reason it came out of the diet, as you know, is that parts of the bureaucracy went to a diet member and says, look, we can't get the MOF to do this. You propose it. You know, and it kind of happened that way. But it's interesting, and Shishido wrote a great paper about this. And uh, he points out that the stock options and the committee system were unique among all these reforms to be proposed first in the diet. Uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It was a lot. It's also, by the way, just to throw another bomb in the room, I can't see this in any other way than encouraging young, small companies with foreign capital and new foreign investment. That's, I, you just don't see There's no reason to reduce the minimum capital for any other reason, you know. And there's no doubt this is going to create competitors and not a kid on doesn't want. I think that's it. Thank you again. The preceding program is copyrighted by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu.